and then we're into the podcast. Welcome, welcome to the actual podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so we've been, we've been following your work for for a little bit, and uh, yeah, wanted to chat with you. Uh, exciting to to finally do it, and um, yeah, can you start start off by uh, telling us who you are and, and what you're all about? Sure. Well, uh, my name is Bobby Martin, and I am one of the co-founders of Champions Design. We uh, started the company in 2010, and we focus on brand identity systems, and I'm just working with clients that we love to be able to help them uh, really kind of put their best foot forward and, and present themselves to the world in a way that is uh, you know, aligned with their vision. We started the company, we were known as uh, OCD, the original champions of design when we started, and we celebrated our 10-year anniversary in March, and part of that anniversary was a rebranding of ourselves, uh, focusing simply on champions. So. Um, champions really reflects what we're about, which is championing our uh, kind of work, but championing our, our clients and the people that we work with and, uh, and the things that they're doing to be able to you know, make them the best that they can be. And nice. uh, we, we're based in New York City, and we, but we work with clients all over the world. How, how is working in New York City? That's something that I've always wanted to do. Well, I love it. It's it's. I, I've actually had the pleasure of working in a couple of different places. I lived in London for two years and worked for Nokia oh, nice. down in, in Soho. Our office is in Soho, and and that was a blast. I really enjoyed working there. Uh, when we started the company, we were in the East Village in New York, which is this uh, great, vibrant, creative community uh, in the on the east side of, of of New York, and we have kind of been there for long enough now where we've seen that that community, uh, that neighborhood grow and, and, and actually change a, a good amount. But we have kind of been there from the beginning and, and really enjoy being there. And, uh, and like working in New York is, is fantastic. I mean, the, the subway system is, is really great. And most of the team lives in Brooklyn. Uh, I live in Manhattan. Jennifer and, and I both live in Manhattan. And we, um, we were coming to the office every day and just rolling our sleeves up and getting things done. Uh, now we're all working remotely, and the good part about working remotely is the office um, the office was a certain size, so that also kind of limited how much um, we could do or how many people we could bring on because, because we had a certain amount of seats, and so we were really selective about the team. Now that we're working remotely, we are able to expand the team or expand the offerings a bit because there's no boundaries. So, uh, so that's been really exciting and, and one of the positive um, uh, kind of outcomes of this, the current circumstances. So how do you think, do you think you'll carry that on then, the remote? Are you gonna ask it's a really question? good question. So <laughs> we had been exploring work, work from home for about two years before uh, 2020. So since maybe 2018 or so, we had been doing a work from home um, uh, kind of scenario where different people could work from home. They just had to kind of tell us when they were working from home. And certain people couldn't work from home at the same time because we needed people to be in for meetings or clients and things like that. Uh, so we'd been, been exploring it, but I think we had still been a little bit hesitant to it because the, the culture of of the company had been, had worked so well internally. We pinned things up on the board. We have these critiques. Uh, so we've had to really change the way that we work to work remotely. And now, almost six months in, 
we we have figured out how to do that in a way that's really efficient and I think everyone just really enjoys. So it really comes down to uh, you, we have certain meetings and certain check-ins, but overall, you this is your deadline, this is our meeting or internal check-ins, and so then you just have to figure out on your own time how you get things done. And I think people have really loved that that um, kind of freedom mm-hmm. and we will be thinking about how we do more of that in the future so in 2021 hopefully we will all be able to go back into the office but we'll definitely be a lot more comfortable about working remotely and uh, and again it, it does allow us to be able to work with a, a bigger uh, more bigger diverse uh, and maybe specialized team uh, because we because our, our um, working remotely allows for just more options I think a lot of companies have said that in varying industries that work from home was always an option and they were becoming more open to it. But it was only when their hand, with that, their hand was forced because of coronavirus that they realised actually it's it's really not that that bad a thing and it, is, it works so well for so many different companies. As you say, you can have you can have way more people working for you. You don't have to worry about desk space. You don't have to worry about the commuting. Um, there's there's loads of things. And also, some people say they work more productively at home when they know that their day starts at nine or and ends at five, rather than starting at seven a.m. and ending at seven p.m. because they've got a two-hour commute each side. Yeah, I mean, having not having the commute is is helpful, and it allows you to actually get more. I think the work-life balance is maybe a little bit better because you can Mm. do a little bit more, but you're still starting work at the same time. Yeah, great. And uh, so I, I find that I'm able to relax a little bit more in the mornings. Um, I think, the, you know, it also depends on what your living situation, situation is. So I think those who have ch- children at home, things might be a little bit more challenging right now. That's but true. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, we're able to kind of work around that to, to some degree. I, I think that's the hard part with kind of being in this circumstance for an unknown amount of time because, you know, not having childcare is it can be tough but um, I think the just the possibilities is really helpful I, I have heard from our some of our clients and people that we work with that work with a lot of proprietary information those that are in the tech world it's working remotely is a little bit tougher for them because they do so they're so used to doing things uh, secretively but um, but yeah for us it's it's been great that That's is one a good thing. Point, the NDAs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to see your computers and um, what's who's looking over your shoulder? Well, yeah. I mean, we there's there's that exactly. Like you know, then then the wife is is walking around saying, "Oh, what are you working on?" <laughs> um, or the kids. Uh, but also, I think there's also just like there's certain firewalls and things like that. That when you're inside of a building, there's there's just a little bit more security. So yeah. I think that that becomes tougher. So you know, some of some of the industrial designers and product designers might be uh, good people to talk to about working remotely and how that how things are working for them. Nice. Yeah, I, I mean, one thing I w- I'm thinking about soon is also moving into London. Coronavirus has uh, sort of delayed that a little bit, but uh, definitely think about moving to London. Obviously, like I said, I want to work in New York eventually at one point. Um, I know our co-host Jacob wants to work in New York as well. So how does London and New York compare? Well, there's a lot of similarities, I think. Uh, I think both are doing exceptional work. I think the work I see uh, created in and by folks living in the UK and in, in London are, is exceptional. And like we often are looking to that as uh, kind of a, 
standard bearer. And I think oh, really? when I was living in London, a lot of, it was the same, vice versa. So we uh, yeah. we were often looking at things that were created in New York or in in the U.S. in particular, and 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 being really inspired by that. And so, but I think the ways of working are quite similar. I think it, it really depends on the the company and um, and and maybe the the different ethos that that each has. I found that when I was working working there, a lot of my friends and and, and peers were were real like true modernists, and so there was a, a great um, kind of restraint in the design uh, execution in the design work itself. And I, I learned a lot about building systems, so building identity systems. I learned a lot by working with uh, with with some of those colleagues. Mm-hmm. And um, in New York, there's there's a lot of really uh, good um, uh, kind of expression, and and you can. The, I think the diversity of people working on teams brings a lot of really good um, points of view to the work. Uh, we're, we're definitely really concept driven and uh, and are able to figure out how to, to do work that's making making an impact. And I think both are incredibly competitive, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, in New York, we I find that for the most part, the design community is really close and tight knit, and so we're often helping each other or or recommending each other or collaborating. And I didn't find that quite as much in London. It might just have been my working circumstances then, um, as far as like different companies recommending and working with each other. But in Mm -hmm. New York, we find that we've all either worked together or worked for, or like the the world is so small. And so we we really, I think, uh, benefit from, from that. That's great. I think I think it's it's interesting one for London. I mean, I've only got limited experience of working in London. Um, work for London, uh, London-based football team now, and uh, it's it's very much I'll keep our stuff to ourselves, sort of thing. And that might be as well for design studios. Um, I, I mean, I've only ever spoken to a couple of design studios. One of my favourites, obviously, Dixon Baxi. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, yeah, you know. So um, yeah, and, and they're, they're always. Like we're the best sort of thing. That's great. I love that attitude, and um, and the, the work they they put out right now is obviously it's top stuff as well. But it's interesting yep. to hear uh, you, you know you go and measure yourself against the English guys, um, mm. and, and the other way around as well. Uh, what do you see as British design then? Because this is a, a question I'm trying to figure out. Uh, do we have a, a certain British design, or is it yeah, is more there a everything it, now, or is it just, yeah yeah does everyone do the same, is or, it or is it individual rather than a a country thing? Yeah. It's a really good question. I'm I'm not sure I I could define it. There, I I I, I find there are certain. Uh, what's interesting is that we have a good amount of people from the UK that are working in the US, and and so like Matt Willey and uh, and and some some others that I I've, I've worked with quite often, and um, I find that there's just a a real great attention to detail. And, uh, and really kind of smart use of, of scale and proportion and typography. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think you could definitely say that about New Yorkers, but with, with what I find in the, uh, the, the people that I, I keep an eye on in, in the UK, I, I, again, I think it goes back to a real sense of um, kind of simplicity and craft and, um, and and really kind of pairing things to the essential elements. And I think you can look at companies like, um, uh, I mean, there, there are several that, that stand out to me, but um, you know, some that off the top of my head are like 
North and, you know, the, the London team at, at Pentagram and mm-hmm. um, uh, my, my friends over at Bond, uh, Bond Creative and, and others. I think they, they, uh, there's, there's a lot of um, influence from, I think, a variety of um, uh, kind of designers from those from the UK, but also those in, in Europe in general. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of influence from Dutch design and German design, and it all kind of comes together, I think, especially in the UK, uh, because I think there's a real great diversity of, of, of cultures um, living in the UK and working together. And I think you can see that reflected in, in, the, um, in some of the work that, that then gets made. Nice. That's oh, good. It's good that we're always trying to figure that out. And uh, what, what do you think Americans on it? Because you know, you see the sort of stuff that comes out of advertising, and um, I always think of McDonald's and sort of <laughs> the, you know the the M and, and all sorts of um, sort of big logos and big logo designers and uh, big type designers. And so, what do you think that sort of that sort of designers is American design? Well, I think one of the challenges that I find in the U.S. is that we are quite big. And so things are really broken up in regions. I, and I, I yeah, think I, right. there's probably more of a, a, a certain approach in New York than, and that differs slightly in San Francisco, that differs slightly in Chicago. And, and then when you have the, kind of the rest of, of, of the country, there's, I think there's yet another uh, way of, of looking at things. I think there's, um, especially in the Midwest and in the South, I think there's a, a, a certain kind of um, handcraftedness that comes through in the work. There's a good amount of, of, um, of uh, texture and um, letterpress and, 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 wood, and, and wood block printing and things like that that I see uh, quite often from, from those that are, are um, in, you know, in, in the West, in the Midwest, in the, in the South. Um, uh, with, with San Francisco, you know, so many things are driven by the the big tech giants, and so you know that that's really a lot of the work there is is really driven by that. But also, you you can see uh, the the companies that are really set up to to support that type of work, and so it's it's often really sharp and clean and strategic, and and often done in for really big um, events or really big clients and and or really big initiatives and and products. Um, New York is, is is maybe a bit more varied. I find that there's definitely some tech work in New York, but then um, New York is is more of a, I think the, the kind of culture uh, and the kind of cultural uh, organizations and and the arts comes through a lot in in New York work. So you could work for the Facebooks or the or the Googles or the Adobe's, but then at the same time you're doing work for um, you know, the, the art, so MoMA or Carnegie Hall or um, the, the, the Met and, and things like that. So the, the arts is really pervasive in, in the New York design scene. And I think that's really great because you're able to, to um, flex certain muscles when you're working with the arts and they might be slightly different than when you're working with corporate clients. But then what, at least what we are able to do is, is kind of use our learnings from working with people in these really great creative areas like you know, the, the arts, the Whitney and MoMA are doing such excep- exceptional work, then that then um, is, is influencing the work that gets done for some of the, the more corporate uh, clients. Um, I think when you get into advertising, it's a little bit 
it might be a little bit different. You know, I, I kind of keep my head down a little bit, and so I'm not really looking at like all of the big advertising that that goes out um, or from the big agencies. It's, it's not something that's maybe on my radar as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't tell you what a McDonald's ad actually looks like, and I, I probably haven't been to McDonald's in uh, more than ten years. But um, that's a good thing. But I think the, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you do see the things like the, the, the big campaigns that you see throughout New York City, like the VMAs always does a, a big outdoor campaign for MTV's VMAs, or you yeah. see a lot of Nike work, especially over in Herald Square. And so it's great to see those big, bold expressions. Yeah, that's, that's when it comes for me is, is when you see the different sort of variations in design around the world or, or um yeah, you know, like for football kits, that's always the one I go back to is, is like exactly, sports yeah. design and, and how, how a, a team can get the representation of a city or of a place in their design work, in their the texture of their football kit or the the um, the jerseys you guys call it, or you know how the yeah how you, how you get past the city and get the fans on board that way. Uh, in, in the, well, I, the I think that or... the the football teams in in the UK especially uh, do that really well, and I would argue that they do that kind of. Uh, almost hyper local kind of branding and, and influence kind of comes through in in your football teams maybe more so than what you would see in in our major sports in the U.S. I think they're yeah, like yeah. you know it, with with Brooklyn with the Brooklyn Nets that's probably one that stands out as as, as being most integrated into the the culture of Brooklyn and I think that was really spearheaded by Jay Z being part owner um, but I think he, since he's kind of relinquish some of his his um, uh, kind of ownership I think I've started to see some of that change and evolve a little bit into a maybe more standard um, kind of look of what a, a basketball team might might be the, the Knicks um, you know the New York Knicks are our, our other basketball team they Knicks are pervading you know you can't kind of separate New York and the Knicks they're right. they're really uh, t- infused uh, but they, I, I can't say that there's a lot of local references that come through in the in the kind of branding for the for the Knicks, and you know with the with the Mets and the Yankees, you know those are those are just classic. And so you kind of, again, I, I don't know if there's any specific New York elements that come through in the Yankees or or the Mets, at least not that I can think of. But you just you just know that mm. you know those are New York teams and. You you see everybody with either one or the other, you know, uh, baseball cap on. That, that, that's the th- I mean, yeah, you keeps missing this, isn't he? He's our basketball mm-hmm. resident, uh, but uh, yeah, he, he he always talks about um, sort of baseball. We've had conversations about baseball and going how how that is so ingrained into a city, and and because. Uh, my view of a New York is yeah is is the baseball team and the sports teams and I think in American for, for me which is actually sort of strange because maybe it's because I'm living in the bubble of football in the UK but it, it feels strange because you guys move around your teams move around a bit but um, especially in New York when they've been there for so long it feels like that that is almost representation of the city that is the city that is like I don't know how to word it properly but that feels more of a part of the city than say if a Chelsea or an Arsenal or a, a London football club does. Maybe it's different because I'm on the inside of the country, but, um, and I don't get sort of what the day to day of living in that city is like, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that, like the New York Yankees have been around forever and they're such a New York institution. Yeah. Exactly. And so, uh, and, and 
the, the brand kind of remains kind of classic in that way. And there are certain brand elements that come through that have always been there, the pinstripes and the, yeah. you know, the, the, the hat, uh, you know, the, the NY on the hat and things like that um, have always been there and the color. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going anywhere either. Um, and I, I don't know if I, I, we, we, in the way that you have allegiances to certain football teams within a city, um, I guess you could say this similar thing with the, the Mets and the Yankees or the Knicks and the, and the Nets. Um, but I, it's not as rabid, um, the, the fans aren't as, I'm not sure if the fans are as diehard as what I think of as, <laughs> you know, London, uh, the UK football fans. No, I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> uh, that's one thing that I'd, I'd like to keep uh, sort of yeah. on the British side because I, I went to an MLS game in uh, Columbus. Went to Columbus Crew game, and that was it was great. It was a great experience, but it, yeah, it's very different to, uh, to oh yeah football oh, over yeah. here. Definitely. Um, but I want to go. I really want to get down to Atlanta. Atlanta, um, uh, Bray, you know, wait, what's their football team? Atlanta. Braves and Hawks, they're the, other, they're the American sports, aren't they? What's the? Well, that's baseball and and, and basketball. Yeah. I don't I don't know the is it the. I'll get there. I'm in not there. sure the the, the, the team there. Yeah. But yeah, um, moving away from sports because I could literally okay. talk all day. My millions, I can see many um, needs to get in the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I have sports. no idea what you're uh, talking about. <laughs> but but one, one thing I want to talk about is um, career paths and uh, which are young designers and you're clearly a very experienced designer and and someone that we you know, we can look up to and, and ask loads of questions to. Okay. Um, so that's just yeah true so uh we yeah we want to talk about career paths and the career ladder um and then talk about social design and designing for social things um and how we can sort of change the world through design so um yeah first of all me do you have anything on on the career paths and uh and career ladders any questions you want to ask well yeah we we spoke about it a little bit before the podcast um and we're just wondering what what sort of your your perception of design and your ambition and the way that you sort of view your own career, career path, how that has changed and evolved since you were a, a, you were a designer in your early 20s to where you are now having an established and successful career. Like, do you, what do you, what would, yeah, what, what do you see when you look back at that person who was in their early 20s and what, what would you tell them? It's a, it's a great question. I think what, one of the, the things that I, f- I find really interesting is when you're in it, you, you don't, you're not thinking of it in that, in that way. So like right now, we're, we're always still hustling. We're still dealing with every single client as if it was our, our last. We're putting our all into it. And, um, and so I, I don't often think about the trajectory of where I'm going or even kind of where, where I've been. Uh, but then if you kind of stop and take a second to really think about it, it's like, well, we, we have come a, quite a long way. And you know, one of the things that we do at our company that we've been doing for 10 years is every six months we stop and we have a, a company retreat where we, we reflect back on what we've done and then we plan out where we want to go. And it's, we found that really, really useful because we can use that time to actually do exactly what I say we normally don't do because we're, we're in it and you're just kind of grinding through. So we're able to actually go back and think about the things that we've done and the good and the bad and what we've learned and you know, what we want to do better. And one of the things that came up maybe a year or two ago when we were having one of these retreats, uh, we might have been you know, working with clients, working with companies, especially big, big companies that might be um, uh, afraid of taking risk. 
you sometimes creating groundbreaking work for them is really difficult and so it can be really tough and frustrating and aggravating and uh, but then what what we were able to do is kind of look back and say well when we were thinking about starting this company some of the things that we've done we could have never have dreamed of doing back then so we're, we're doing it we're in it and how do we make the most of where we are and of course we want to continue to grow and we want to continue to to create fantastic work um, but we also want to take a minute to just recognize the, the things that we have done so you know when I I moved to New York in 1999 uh, and I moved there because uh, I had there was a, a magazine that reached out that was looking for designers and uh, they reached out to one of my professors in grad in, in college and so then I uh, I got the job and moved to New York and worked in magazines as an art director and I did that for a few years and really enjoyed it but what I learned is that I, I needed a little bit more kind of diversity in the, the type of work I was doing and so I went back to grad school uh, I went to uh, Steve Heller and Lita Tellerico's program called um, at the School of Visual Arts called the MFA design program uh, which is now focused on designer as entrepreneur and I learned a lot about how as a designer, you can really be the maker of your own destiny. And so what we were encouraged to do is not wait for people to come and hire us or not wait for people to give us content, but then to be the people who are creating the content and then figuring out how the best ways to disseminate that, that content out into the world. And, uh, and I think going through that program helped me to then map out where I wanted to go with my career. So ultimately I knew that I wanted to have my own agency and be be doing the type of work that I'm doing now. And so it took about seven years from when we graduated from grad school to starting Champions. And I started Champions with one of my um, former classmates from, from that program. Uh, we graduated together and we had kept in touch and done different things at different times throughout our career. But the whole time we were uh, gaining experience by working with designers and, and, and creative directors and people that we loved. We loved their work, and so we wanted to go and kind of learn from them. I worked with Brian Collins at now Collins. It was a company called um, Brand Integration Group when I worked with him at Ogilvy & Mather. Uh, Jennifer worked with Michael Beirut at Pentagram, and we were able to learn how to present our work. We were able to learn how to, to work with clients and how to uh, take feedback constructively and make the work better or how to push back if we needed to. Uh, we learned how to get things made at really big, uh, com complex companies. And you know, I, I learned that working with uh, Brian Collins, but then I went into trying to do that myself. So I took those learnings and worked with uh, a performing arts organization called Jazz at Lincoln Center with Wynton Marsalis. And then I moved to London to work for Nokia for a couple of years doing that on a global scale. And I think we were able to do some really exciting work, and I was able to meet some excellent people along the way. And so I talked about how close-knit the New York design community is. A lot of the, not just the design community, but the people that I worked with at these different places and different points along my uh, career, those often are the people that are hiring us now. Those are people that have moved and kind of made their names for themselves in their, at their, in their own right, in their own places. And now when they're thinking about designers that they are working with, often they're coming to myself or coming to, to Jennifer because 
they know how we work. They know that we're going to put our all into it. They know that we're professional. We're going to kind of deliver more than we were asked to deliver and do that all on time. And, uh, and so that really became the basis of us starting our company because we, we had a great network of people that we could work with. And then from there, the work that we've created for those people has then started to be seen and acknowledged. And so then that's what has helped us to continue to build and grow our company. And it's what we, we just love doing every single day. And so that's kind of how it went. It was just like you know, going to work with people that we love, people that, that are doing really good work, learning from them, and then from there testing out how to do that for ourselves and then ultimately doing that um, uh, by running the company. Nice. There's lots to unpack in that. So let's go. Let's go to the. Let's go to the mentor stuff. Like finding finding someone because uh, that's, that's something that we talked quite a lot about in the podcast, and um, something that comes up a lot in conversations we have with, with people like yourself in in these sort of um, I don't know sort of twenty year dream job uh, or like I'm, I'm in my own studio. This is how I did it, and it comes up quite a lot where they had someone. Well, it was a lot of times as well. They went around the around the world. They traveled to different cities and got inspiration from different places and learned in different countries. So you can deal with people on a global scale, but um, but also you said you said you learn under people. And we talked about Paula Sher about this as well. And she has people that she learned under Gail Anderson. Obviously, learned under Paula Sher. And it, how important is it, especially to learn under someone that that influential, that big? How do you get there? And how do you? How 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 I don't know. yeah how did you get to work for Paul Shirt? How did you get to work for these these top people? How did you get to well, work for yourself? You know, the, <laughs> how can I learn from you? There's <laughs> probably a couple of different ways. I I got lucky, and I the when I went to the grad school, I uh, I went there because the people that were part of the reason I went there is because the people that were teaching in that program were already doing exceptional work. Yeah. Paula Shirt was my thesis advisor, so I I worked with her for. Uh, probably over a year in building out the work that I was doing in grad school, and 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 she was really pivotal pivotal in in kind of helping me go into certain situations after grad mm-hmm. school because mm-hmm. I could always reach out to her. Um, mm-hmm. So it was it was like being very deliberate about the the school and the program. You know, my my dad, my both my parents are professors, and my dad always was the he would always encourage me to go and and speak to my teachers. So he would say, don't just kind of sit in class and do what they tell you to do uh, and then leave. He said, once class is over, go and talk to your teachers and let them know how interested you in in the work or like, like really show how interested you, you are in learning. And I, I really think that that feedback is, is super valuable because when I did have teachers, some really well-known like, like Paula or Brian but, and, and Stefan uh, Sagmeister were all teachers in that program, but then there were also other teachers there that aren't as kind of big names but are so important to you know the the students growth and so if you can really go and speak to those that you see every day and and really show them how dedicated you are to doing great work then they are, are really they're they're interested in helping you and helping you to get into certain places they they hear from other people all the time about different projects or places that are hiring so if if you go and you show to your professor that you're interested in in growing and you feel like you're capable then those professors can then easily recommend you um and then the other thing that i always tell people is is find people that you really admire uh the work that you love and and go and and try to work with them and um i can say from experience that's a lot easier said than done 
So what, what you might need to do is you might need to reach out to people several times. So you might reach out to somebody right when you graduate from university and they may or may not respond. And then after you get your first job, uh, you know, you can reach out and say, these are some of the things that I've, I've been working on. And, you know, you kind of stay in touch. And as you grow as a designer, you're staying in touch with these people. And eventually there, there might be an opportunity that that is uh, uh, opened up for you, you two to actually work together. You know, I had um, there's two recent situations that I, I think might be useful for, for this conversation. One is there's a guy that I've known now for uh, over 10 years. And we've never worked together. We don't work in the same same city, but we met at a conference. So I was speaking at a conference back in, you know, maybe 2008, 2009, and he was, I think, just out of grad school or or maybe still in school. And he came and introduced himself when we were just walking around this conference, and he uh, expressed interest in the work that I was doing, and and he's stayed in touch with me. Um, <laughs> and we've never worked together. He really never asked for anything. But now every time I go to a conference, he's typically at that conference and he goes up and he talks to me. And now we've become really good friends. And and so he'll send me text messages. He's asking me about things. He's moved up in his career. And you know, I, I think the, that is an excellent way to really be persistent uh, because he kind of sought me out. He found me and he stayed in touch. And now we, we can volley emails and text messages and now he's in a situation where he can invite me to come speak at things or if I'm you know judging a competition he might be one of my judges and I think that's that's the way you do it um, another situation is um, more more recently back in 2000, uh, 2017 I interviewed a kid who was right out of school and he we were looking for an interactive designer and he was he was smart. He had a, a, a strong portfolio, but he wasn't quite right for what we needed at the time. And he went and he worked at a, a couple of different places. And as he's gone to those different places, he's emailed me and, and sent me little updates. And uh, and just a couple of weeks ago, um, he reached out uh, because you know during during COVID, you know, a lot of people are uh, kind of getting furloughed or laid off or losing kind of contract work. So he reached out and now we're, we're probably going to be bringing him on for, for a while um, because we need an interactive designer. So, you know, that also just kind of staying in touch because when the stars align, you want to be the person yeah. that they, that, you know, is the first person that they see uh, or think about. And, and I think that's the way you do it. So it's not annoying. It's just kind of staying in touch and, and sending updates and it might not work right away. You know, you might not come right out of college and, and start working for the place that you want to be. But as you gain experience, then, you know, opportunities might, might open up. That's a really cool, cool story about that. The guy who stayed in, well, both of them both stay in touch. And how, how, how do you, how often? How often do they mention you? Because if they mention you every day, it's like a bit stalking. No, no, no. I, no, no. I mean, this is, want to this stay is top like, of mind, but not be. Yeah, I mean, but you, you have to be persistent. I mean, there's going to be times when you might not get a response, and you just say, "Okay, well." And I, and now you know what's interesting about that is, I basically do the same thing with clients, or I'll do the same thing nice. with people I want to be working with. Now, as an agency, that's how we build new business because there'll be things out there in the world that I'll say, oh, I think we could do a good job at that. And so I'll reach out to somebody and I may not hear from them right away. I'll reach out again and say, oh, we've done this or can I show you some of what we've been up to? Uh, 
So I, I would say, you know, it's, it's every, every few months, you know, a couple times a year maybe, um, or it, you know, it, might not be, it might not even be every year. It might be something where, you know, somebody, you speak to somebody in 2017 and you hear from them again in 2019, and then here we are in 2020, and, you know, it's just a little note like, you know, that works in that way. I think the, you know, sending something every day is, is, is probably too much, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of staying top of mind and sending a little kind of um, note here and there. The other, the other point though, is uh, for, for the places that you would want to be is kind of knowing the things that they're doing, because if they've created something recently that you knew is, is really good work and you want to just say, hey, give them a great, you know, yeah, I've done that, that a couple of times. Yeah, it's just like it's that's so useful because the world that we live in right now is 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 really driven by criticism. It's driven by really easy and sometimes invalid uh, um, criticism, and and so you, you know when you're doing the type of work that you want to be doing, it really sucks for you know to to get it out in the world and people just kind of jump on it and start like bashing it. And so it's always great, especially if you know something is, is going to be kind of polarizing, to, to get a little note from somebody and say, oh, you know what, that looked like a project that, that took a long time, um, and I love seeing how it's been rolling out or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just really encouraging, uh, and, and it kind of cuts through a lot of the clutter. Nice. That's a really, really good point, actually. Messaging, yeah, messaging people if, if you want to work there eventually. Just keeping the mind in, in front of mind, and um, mm. I, I can think now. Now it's, you sort of said it, it's, it's made a lot of sense. I've done it a couple of times. And I'm hoping, yeah, I, I should. I think I should do it a lot more, uh, or not a lot more, but like for different places, uh, and just keep just if, every time I say because I've made friends like doing this podcast. I've made friends in the places I want to be, and that's part of the reason I got this the job I'm at right now. Is and it, it yeah, it's great. It's, it's I think for the podcast we've got a special thing here, Millie, where we can interview people that where we want to be in a couple of years' time. So we can exactly. interview now, yeah. and now it's an introduction to a friendship. So I think it's uh, yeah, we've got some good things going on. And the world is so small, and you know the thing is, there not everybody is creating podcasts, not everybody mm. is starting companies, not everybody is like reaching out. <laughs> yeah, and, and but I think the good part is that makes like those who do really memorable. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and then you know when. You know, whether it's a working engagement or, or some other type of situation, like then, you know, you you remember you remember the people that are going above and beyond. Yeah, is is there anything that because we're talking about careers? Is there anything that uh, you see that people are doing wrong these days? Any young young creatives coming out of university or coming out of um, you know, college or school and and thinking, oh, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to get my dream job straight away. What are they doing wrong? What, how come they're how come they're failing? Oh, I mean, obviously right now as well, failing? coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, right right now it's it's a really tough time. I mean, we we even get intern people asking to intern with us, and we're like, mm -hmm. well, no, we're not taking interns at the moment, um, just because it's it's also not like the easiest learning environment for internship. But yeah, um, you know, what are people doing right and wrong? I'm not sure. I, I really enjoy receiving a smart informed cover letter and so nice. in email the way that that email is written uh with someone knowing like really expressing interest and knowing the things that we do is so important 
because there's a lot of emails that we receive and we get a lot of them every day uh, from people that just feel like they drop uh, some copy and paste text and then change the name. And it really like either the work that they're looking for has nothing to do with the type of work that we do or they, you know, they have misspellings in their, their email. And there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things that just aren't good. So like really being thoughtful about the communication that you, you are sending to people is, is one way to, to stand out. And also we get some excellent thank you letters and, and, uh, just really thoughtful ways to be able to show that you are interested or that you're creative. And I think those are, those are really uh, easy ways to, again, to kind of stand out and to get into the, the types of work that you want to be doing. But I'm not sure, like, I can't really point out, like, what are people doing right and wrong? I remember when I was doing a, a portfolio review for bringing new students into the graduate program where I'm teaching now, we were reviewing the work and portfolios. And I remember one point that there were a lot of portfolios that had a lot of small thumbnails of work on one page. So we're viewing the things on a screen instead of having one page that just showed work beautifully, there were pages, it would be a page that would have, you know, six, eight, 10 things on it for a project. And you can't ever see the detail of, of what, uh, is going to make what makes that project so special. Mm. So I would rather see more slides or more or whatever more uh, kind of big pages of, of work rather than one page with a lot of small things on it. And I think that, that that goes for when you're doing portfolio reviews, when you're doing interviews, and when you're also submitting work to competitions. Because I've I've been on the receiving or the the um, kind of judging end of of all of those and. Like those are the things that help to stand out in those situations. That's, 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 that's also a good one. Mark pointed this out to me recently. I was doing making the same mistake with um, client proposals, putting all of my thumbnails yeah, yeah. or concepts all on one page. And Mark, I showed it to Mark for some uh, for a review, and he said, "No, no, no, make make everything big. Like you're sending it over as a PDF. It's not costing you to print it. Make it like a hundred pages. You can. <laughs> it's like <laughs> obviously not that much, but yeah, I was like trying to get everything into like five pages to send it over. Whereas, yeah, it's about presenting. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times you get worried about how many pages something might be, and sometimes people are going to print it." But most of the time, people, the first thing they're going to do is look at it on screen. Yeah. And it's very easy to just kind of click through quickly rather than needing to kind of lean in and figure out what something is. And, and, uh, and I think just e even in the work that we do, we like things that are kind of big and bold and simple. Yeah, yeah. And so in yeah. kind of designing portfolio, it might be something to keep in mind. <laughs> that's a good that's a good bit of portfolio advice because it also feels like if there's if you see so much mess or, or so much so many things on on the screen at once it's a bit of like ah oh, that's too much i won't look at that like if, if there's one nice image you get it straight away it clicks straight away then that's i think there's something nice yeah. in that and it's yes, small absolutely. things contradict as well don't they like mm -hmm. it seems such like such obvious advice now that mark said it like obviously it was very good advice but yeah at the time i was like well, oh, why am i not why am i not doing this like putting all of these different concepts mm. you can't get the feel for them because obviously they're all stuck next to each other like, yeah. Yeah. you can't get the right right sort of really and, I mean, with, and with client proposals sometimes they come with very strict um, uh, instructions on how to submit and you just have to work with what you can but like when they don't have those restrictions you know, just do what's going to get your work 
acknowledged and you know make it look the best. Well, with the career stuff, I, I see it as a ladder, and we've talked about it being a ladder on uh, on on podcasts and and stuff before. And we're all on our own ladders. Uh, this is going to get a bit philosophical, but we get like, we're all on our own ladders. We're all climbing up our own rungs, and and it's is it is it runs or rungs? Is it rungs like with a rungs. G? Oh, gee. Okay, good. cool. Um, just <laughs> so we're all, yeah, we're all climbing for our rungs, and uh, yeah, it, it feels. But then we obviously we're obviously looking at other people's ladders and always looking at their Instagrams and always looking at their stuff as well. And you probably know where this conversation is going to go. But um, t- twist it. So uh, we had a, had a really good point and question, but I've sort of lost it. So <laughs> we're climbing rungs. Yeah. <laughs> too busy visualizing yourself climbing up ladders it is a good way of, of thinking about it though I, I know that mark uses this a lot to stop himself from getting competitive and i think it's good for a lot of yeah. people to sort of not try and not compare your journey i find it people's. really difficult yeah yeah i find it so difficult i try not to but i'm like i'm always uh, looking at what's around and i think there's there's people who say you know we just keep our head down and we do what we do and I really admire those. And I, I think um, my partner, Jennifer Kynan, is, is maybe a bit more like that. Like she's really focused and can really just kind of do what she wants to do the way she wants to do it. And I'm, I'm a bit more like, oh, what are these people doing? Oh, what are these people doing? Oh, look at that. We need to be more like that. And I'm trying to make sure we stay grounded. And, that, you know, what's interesting about that is like when we're working with clients, uh, we try to keep them grounded on this brand strategy that we might develop or a framework or kind of things that are kind of driving the design. And we do that deliberately so they're not looking at their competitors and saying, well, they did this thing cool, we should be doing that. We say, well, w- does that align with who you are as a company? Mm-hmm. And I think we've, we've had to establish a lot of similar pillars for ourselves to, to stay focused and to be able to just do what we do as, as well as we can. That's interesting, nice. actually, sort of using your own mentality to then instruct your clients as well and to make them sort of think in the same way. I've, I've noticed, I've never really thought of it that way. I've definitely noticed it with clients who say to me, well, why have you said we should do that? Because our competitor's doing it that way. And I've gone, oh, well, I don't, I don't know, maybe. But yeah, it's, if I'm not being competitive in my industry, then I should perhaps sort of, I don't know, uh, advise them in I that think, way too. Yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> You probably, I mean, I think it's okay to be competitive. Yeah, it's important. What what I but... I try not to do is is say, well, they're doing this, so we should be doing this too. And yeah. it really drives me crazy when when we work with clients who are if if a client is is looking at things in in that way, um, or creating something after somebody else has created, they're creating like the same thing. Copycat. And um, so you know we we often talk about differentiation and how do you differentiate yourself from those so we do like deliberately look at competitors and peers and people that are doing similar work but then we think about well how you can stand out where you need to go and how you uh, define your own uh, kind of expertise and own category and uh, and then once you get that then you just keep going in that direction and um it, but i i 
you know, it works both ways. Like when we do work for clients, then I'm like, well, we, we recommended this for our client. We recommended that for a client, but why aren't we doing that for, to our, for ourselves? And so I, you know, it works both ways because we're, I think we're really good at consulting. We're really good at doing the type of work we, we do for the clients that we work with. And sometimes we do it so well that we forget to do some of those same things for ourselves. That's and nice. so we have to remind ourselves to, to you know, really, um, I guess drink drink the Kool Aid. So like if we're <laughs> if we're kind of preaching it, like we need to practice it ourselves. Practice what you preach. Yeah, I actually had this exact conversation with a client today, who mm-hmm. was who is a social media manager and is very very good at what she does as a social media manager, but was having a complete crisis with her own social media because she's so used to doing it to, for other people. And when when we sort of chatted about it, and obviously her talking to me it always helps, doesn't it? Talking to other people and when she then started to think about it and think about herself as her own client, then she was like, well, obviously, why have I not thought of all of these things before? It's like you get so wrapped up, don't you, in something that is yours and you're so passionate about and sometimes things make sense in your head but you're not getting it out correctly and it helps you empathise with your clients, I suppose, as well. Absolutely, and I think social media is one of the key areas where it's, it's like we always make recommendations for what, um, people should be doing on the social, and then we say, "Well, well, why aren't we doing that? <laughs> we need to be doing the same thing." You know, it's 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 a new, it's a whole new, um, almost category of working. You yeah. know, a whole a whole new discipline that we need to be thinking about. And so it's 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 actually added work, and it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And but I think to to I think it's important to where companies going to how they're communicating on social. I think your social is really nice. I think it's really smart. Like, that's what I want to see from a design studio. So, he's, he's, so this this is actually my this is my point. This is what I remember. Just trying to think really hard and got back to the point. So, uh, on on social, you see you see a lot of younger designers designing stuff for social media. And as someone that is experienced and someone that's uh, got their own studio and doing really well, how how do you see that? What would you prefer if you're hiring someone? What do you prefer to see from a from a design student or someone coming into the industry, because we're designing a lot of stuff to look mm-hmm. good, right? At the moment, how can we, yeah? How how can, how can people start designing stuff for for meaning and for the portfolio or for the next job, or how can they look ahead that far? Well, I guess it really depends on what you want to be doing. Um, like, I think there's times when designing for social media is a really good thing. Like, you can reach a, a broad audience really quickly and really inexpensively. And um, I think the the challenge is how do you do that while also do your day to day work while also um, kind of doing you know, whatever you need to do to survive as a company. I look at one of my favorite uh, young designers is um, is Zipong Zipong Zhu, and he is um, he is the, one of the most prolific Instagrammers that I've ever seen. He's always making a lot of things for Instagram. I was like, how in the world do you do all of this stuff on Instagram and then also still do client work? Because he has a company called Dazzle. And, um, I, but I think that's just him. Like he's just the creator and he's just, mm. it's, it just flows out of him. And he's always making comments on the things that are happening in the world, but he's doing it in his way. And I think it's fantastic. And I know that I, I personally can't do that. Like I, I, I have, my client work is so is so overwhelming that we're really focusing on doing doing things for them, and we do social as much as we possibly can, uh, unless we have like a person who's specifically focused on social, which we've had at some at some different times. But um, yeah, I think it really depends on kind of where you want to go, what the type of work that you you want to do, 
you know, social is really great for also being able to show things that you aren't specializing in, but things that you're experimenting with. Um, uh, I have a friend who just is like doing different lettering every single day. And some of that is to kind of show people the type of work that he is interested in doing that he's not doing right now. Mm-hmm. So I think you can use social in, in really smart ways. Um, I think the the other challenge though is also there's so many people doing similar things trying to get acknowledged on social. So then how do you do things that are true to who you are and uh, and don't just, again, just do more of what other other people are doing? And so it's, it's tough. And I think it's really most, I think it's toughest for like, companies and brands that try to do things like that on social because I think social media is really made more for individuals. I think it's made more for individual communication, individual expression. And I think when companies try to do it, um, you know, it's, it's, you, you just need to really figure out what you want to be talking about or how you want to be showing things. But I find, at least for, for a lot of the people that I follow, it's the individual accounts that get the most attention versus the company accounts. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of big creators with huge accounts. Um, the one thing I think for, for younger designers and listening, and something I've struggled with in the past is creating stuff and thinking that people hire me. Just just putting stuff out on Instagram because it's for Instagram and it's sort of something I've been practicing on and trying to work on and expecting to be hired. I think that's something that a lot of um, younger younger people didn't. Well, I didn't. I didn't didn't realize wouldn't get me a job. Um, straight away like you're putting stuff out there why aren't people why aren't people coming to me sort of thing um and it wasn't until i realized uh, actually i need to sort of uh, hone it in a little bit and sort of have a goal with it uh, and it might not be the case for everyone but it's just just my experiences of it when I, so as soon as i started sort of tailoring all my social media design work and all the stuff i was doing just for for fun and practicing on towards where I, the job i wanted to be in sports design that was when i started to, to really sort of pick up um contacts and uh, contacts and people that uh, I could potentially get hired by. So I, I don't know. Have you got any thoughts on thoughts on using it strategically? Well, I, think, in that I way? totally agree. I, well, I think that it gives you the ability to really focus, it, especially if you're doing something in your day to day, but you know that you want to be focusing on a different thing. It allows. It's basically like your own side project, and right. so it allows you to be able to show what's possible of that in that thing that you're not doing every every single day um, or it allows you to show behind the scenes or it allows you to show like the kind of creative process and so you know it what's great about it is you can there's no real regulation of it um, to most for the most part so you can do whatever and how much of whatever it is that you you want to be doing and a lot of what was like back in the day let's say 15 years ago before Facebook and uh, and everything started kind of blowing up like it was hard to get work out there to be seen like if you create a poster where do you you can create a poster and what how people how are people going to see it like nobody sees it so then you would like you know, might do some crazy thing where you go and you wheat post it on on billboards uh, or kind of sides of of, of um, walls and things like that but like it was really hard to, to do something creative and get acknowledged for it where now because there's so many different channels you can you can do something on Instagram you can do something on Facebook you can do something on Twitter you can TikTok it, all these different things where we didn't have that before and I think because of that you see a lot of really fascinating 
work coming from people who aren't traditionally trained designers and artists. It's just people that have these tools and are able to kind of express themselves. And I think that's also equally inspiring. I'm really excited about, and you see so many people that are, that are doing that, and then they have tons of followers because like what they're doing is so different than the norm. Mm-hmm. So I really think it's like following your heart and kind of doing what you love and using these channels as, as ways to be able to get it out there to, to be seen. Nice. You know, you know, the people I think who've, who've done it the best out of social media, I think it's hand letterers. They've done it fantastically out They've of their so Instagram. Well <laughs> Ian Barnum's doing business. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm amazed at how many, uh, there's hand letterers and there's also illustrators. And both of them, yeah. you know, they'll just have like oh, tens of thousands well. of followers. And, uh, and I think a lot of it is because like, so many people look at that and they say, I can't do that. And so you, you, you kind of look at that and you're really inspired by what these people are doing because you know, like it takes a certain level of craft or finesse or, uh, just, or, or just kind of like mental, uh, ability or, or madness, whatever it is. And so you just, it's, it's really like beautiful work and then you're, you're inspired by it. So I, I feel yeah, like yeah. the hand letterers, especially the ones that are doing something different, like every day or or like you can see like the process behind how they're doing it. It's just, it's amazing. I was going to say process videos, definitely a exactly. big thing. Blowing some people up on Instagram. I think the fact that they actually show the process yeah. of them doing it and it gives so much more appreciation for the yeah. skill. I feel like I can't really video myself like designing a logo. Like it's such a long process. Well, that's the, I think that's one of the, yeah, it's like, well, you're going to sit here and watch my screen. Like yeah. <laughs> I thought, um, I have seen people do really great, um, uh, kind of post of showing kind of iterations of things. So showing, mm-hmm. you know, you'll do an animation of like, we moved this here, I moved this here, I made it bigger, I made it smaller, I moved this, I put this picture in. So I think that like those are really cool, but um, I think there's, there's like designing a logo on the computer or, uh, you know, or doing client work that, that is just like, you know, pinning things up on the board and moving things around isn't as fascinating as being able to see like a paintbrush kind of make these perfect curves it's not satisfying or... yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's like you think about social media being like those satisfying videos it's thousands and thousands come up on youtube if you type in like satisfying video like raking the sand and making it perfect <laughs> yeah. and all that, that sort of sand stuff. cutting thing that went around for yeah. ages as well hot knives thousand degree knives cutting yeah. through bottles and plastic <laughs> yeah um, i'm really um, I, I follow core 77 and they often do this thing called process porn and it shows like <laughs> The making it, it it's because they're focused more on product development so they show like a lot of the kind of engineering or like the manufacturing behind making like little mm-hmm. things like it might be just a a, a bowl or um, you know just these just these random objects but it shows how it gets made in the in the factory and it's yeah, mind-blowing yeah, you yeah, can just sit there and up. watch it forever yeah wow so i'm looking at a hot bossing uh Hot, machine, hot embossing machine embossing pattern how they exactly emboss it so these huge flamethrowers going onto the metal yeah and they're embossing the wood that's incredible I'm going to give them a follow Core 77 um, <laughs> uh, so so yeah with, with social media there's a lot of young people obviously we focus on their likes too much and I've been following a bit of Cal Newport's work recently uh, his books and sort of uh, deep work and um, digital minimalism and how to get off of social media and how not to worry about that sort of stuff and uh, it's really switched my mindset on it it's, it's really interesting uh, interesting stuff but uh, how, how can you oh, actually ask a good point how, how has that changed in your in your lifetime from worrying about getting hired to, to focusing on likes and more, worrying more about that 
because that's something you've seen you've seen that come through in younger designers now compared to when you were a younger designer I'm not sure if they're mutually exclusive I feel like one kind of supports the other you have your portfolio like what some of the first things that people do now they'll they might look if you send a report if you send an email you might look at a portfolio PDF but I think what ends up happening first is you might go to the website of that person because now everybody has like a personal website you go to the website and you look at their work but then on uh, you looking at the work on the website then you might click on one of the social media buttons that they have and then it goes yeah. to their Instagram or to their Facebook and what's great about that is you can see more of their work or you might see more of like what they're interested in what they're about so I think this <laughs> maybe it kind of cuts two ways but I think the um, I think the what's what's interesting is is when you start to learn about a person you want to bring them on you you start to learn a little bit about their themselves by kind of seeing some of those other extensions of of you know what they're emailing to you so you know you you see instagram and you might see something on instagram that that provides maybe a different angle at, uh, from something that they had on their website or from social mm. but I, I do think that there's um I, I almost I do see it as as almost like a side project, and it gives you the opportunity to to um, go a little bit more in depth than you would be able to in maybe just a simple PDF portfolio or or, or website. And, and what's what's also interesting is with with social, I find it to be much more immediate. So you might like I I have a lot of uh, design students that end up going out into the job world and they, they are spending so much time working on their portfolio as a PDF or a website. But what social allows you to do is, is make more immediate updates. So if you spend all this time working on a website, but then it takes time to build a case study on a website, you can put more immediate things out on social media. Yeah. And so you can see some of the things that are happening like up to you know the day of versus a website, it takes a little bit more work. But I think that that might be one of the benefits. That's interesting. There's definitely, definitely tons of different ways of using social media to your advantage uh, yeah. and getting hired. Hey, how how would you do it if you were looking for your next job uh, or like trying trying to angle for your next job? Say you wanted to work in another design studio, maybe a better better design studio, or um, you know you're a junior designer looking to go into a middleweight design job role, uh, or, or even you know even move countries or just progress to the next sort of level of your career. How would you navigate social media? How would you start laying the bricks and? Yeah, them? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I I think it probably differs for different people, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much social media can do. I think it, it it's a kind of another channel, and um, maybe. I, I think maybe it is looking at. Uh, knowing that you have certain things that you're showing when you are presenting your work, social might allow you to do uh, different angles at it. But I'm not sure it's, I think if you didn't have social, I don't think it would hurt you necessarily. I think it's just to, to be able to, to add to what you're sharing on social is, is a good thing. I've also found that, um, <laughs> that um, on social, there's a lot of the same people that uh, like or comment on things and 
and so you start to recognize like the people that are real strong supporters and I think it's comment good comments not the negative ones and so you know I think it you do see certain names over and over again if you get like you know hearts or like you know field goals or things like that um, uh, emojis and social and you're like oh, okay or, or retweets even and so um, you know maybe that would work but I think it might be it's probably a long shot I just think that social allows for a little bit more in-depth uh, point of view on on the work or, or who you are. So it's an extension, extension of your portfolio. Yeah, I think that's it's good. an extension. I think Definitely. it. I know I'm, Mark will bone at me because he knows that I'm quite a fan <laughs> yeah. of social and he's not, so we quite often have these arguments. But I found it really <laughs> beneficial for the community building. Like uh, That's how I found out about... A lot of the podcasts I listen to. That's how I found out yeah. about Creative Waffle in the first place. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know social if media. social didn't exist, there would be other things <laughs> that I would have found out about them about. But uh, found out about them through. But I talked to so many different designers that I never would have met if it hadn't been for Instagram. It was Instagram that inspired me to really mm. get into design and do it as a do it as a career. Because before yeah. that, I used to do tech and code. So if it hadn't been for sort of that immediate as you say like the the immediate inspiration and the immediate way of finding things i don't know whether i would have fallen in love with it as much as i have and yeah yeah, yeah. and now awesome. i have so many connections that have come through using instagram or facebook or dribble or things like that which yeah i'm really thankful for it yeah no for sure definitely i'm not, I'm, not a fan, I'm a fan of social media <laughs> i do like I like obviously this is how I got to, to this job as well. You know, putting it, putting it out that I want a job in sports design, and then someone finding me and put, recommending me for the job. If I didn't have social media, I probably wouldn't have got the, that opportunity. And yeah. obviously, the podcast has helped hugely, putting stuff out there yeah, yeah. and and building contacts. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, social media has helped. I wouldn't be where I am without social media. So definitely, um, definitely, it's it's a huge thing. I just think sometimes when you're scrolling at 2am in the morning that's the unhealthy side of it right that's when yes. you can get off of it and uh, <laughs> and, and, and when we look at other people's work all day that's that's the bad side of social media yeah. so I'm trying to get off of that side of it but it's difficult when you still want well, to be on the well because it becomes a bit of a, a rabbit hole too it's just like you yeah. just keep going and on and on and on and and so if, uh, it's good to take a step back sure sure um, but do you have anything else on the, on the career ladder sort of social media side of things <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think, yeah, I covered Joby. it. Joby. <laughs> um, so, so about social design, because this is, I guess, again, relating to it. How can, um, how can designers design Sit, for Joe. changing the world and, and, and make, it, make a change in the world? Because this is something that I've noticed in, in Champions' work. You're doing a lot more well, bigger idea design work. Oh, yeah, no worries. <laughs> Come on. Probably an hour, Mark. He's, he's probably thought it's only going to be an hour. <laughs> Get and chat, and chat with us. <laughs> chat with us if you three hours. It's not be three hours, but uh... dog barking in the background. Ah, that's <laughs> nice. We're used nice. to that. <laughs> <laughs> we like dogs. It's all good. Sorry, um, you were saying. So yeah, so so, so social design. You you design, you're designing more for for bigger world idea projects now, and you you're trying to change the world through design. I think that's the one of the superpowers we have as creatives we can create we can make things and Lance Wyman talked about it uh, that's the thing he wants to focus on now that he's at the end of his career and coming to the end of his career and still creating amazing work but it, it, yeah. yeah something that I think we maybe don't do enough is, is work for 
maybe maybe it takes someone a bit towards the end of their career to, to do this sort of work. But that seems to be the progression of the career ladder as well. You just start off local businesses, you get your first job, you do a bit of freelance stuff on the side, then you get up to middleweight and so on and so on and so on. So only when you put up enough experience, you can start doing these big world projects and start changing the world through design and creating amazing campaigns for huge companies. But um, so yeah, how, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. But how can we create, how can, how can younger designers and, and people starting off create stuff for, for change in the world? Well, you know, I think the recent events, first with COVID and then, you know, in the U.S., a lot of what's been happening with uh, police brutality and and just kind of senseless use of, of, of guns to, mm. to be able to, um, kind of, I guess, stop people has been a way of, I've seen so many people kind of posting. And what's interesting about that is on, on social especially, um, I find that there's there's two, two channels here. There are those that kind of post current events or things that are happening in the world, but it's based on what everybody else is doing. So, you know, you have kind of Black Tuesday and you put up a black square and everybody else does the exact same thing. Yeah. And what I find about that is then it just becomes like just more of kind of, okay, I'm going to do this too. I'm going to do this too. I'm going to do this too. And I, I kind of don't, it, it's hard for me to, like I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, it, it's an interesting phenomena because I wonder, does it take away from the power uh, or, or, the, or the meaning behind something? Because one is like you, you have people kind of making these posts, uh, do they Mine's actually just, yeah, agree with uh, <laughs> like some of the things that they're posting or are they just doing it because other people are doing it? Uh, so I, like, I, I question that. And then I, I see like when, especially in 2020, a lot of really uh, uh, great people have, have passed away. And just to see like so many people post pictures of them and then it's like it's, it's up for you know one one day and then everything else kind of moves on your next thing you know you're, you're posting more of like your you know flowers in your backyard <laughs> and so it's it, it i find there's a a weird kind of lack of real true connection and 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 true um kind of heart in in some of those posts yeah definitely. and then i think but then on the other hand i find that then there's a handful of people who are kind of showing some of the things that they're doing um, out there, like whether they're protest protesting or whether they are kind of helping out like in a hands-on way or like making posts that are really meaningful and, and not just more of the same old stuff. And I think that those are the things that stand out to me. And I think it's, you know, so again, social media is a really quick and easy way to be able to put a message out into the world. Mm -hmm. And and so when you, you use it, it seems like, you know, making that message really matter uh, or saying something that's really heartfelt is is the best use of that media, uh, and I, I find the the kind of uh, need to just post something is it takes away from the power of something, and I've, I've, yeah, been, seeing, I've been noticing that a lot, especially on Instagram and Twitter. I, I, I I'm not on Facebook quite as much, but especially on Instagram and Twitter, I see a lot of just the we're posting this thing because everybody else is posting it. Definitely, definitely seeing that. Uh, the, that. That is one thing, yeah, one thing that we saw a lot around 
uh, the George Floyd uh, case when I think well, we as a podcast well, definitely started to think about diversity a lot more seriously uh, because it was basically it was just me uh, running the podcast and uh, and, and then we brought on Millie and Yacoub who who've added a lot of diversity and a lot of thought and different reasons and, and who we should be podcasting with and who we should be chatting to and that's been great it's been it's been really interesting and I think with the Black Square stuff I, I was very I didn't do it in the end. I was very hesitant to to post a black square on there because I saw it as, like you said, uh, a very um, sort of everyone's doing it, a very plastic sort of thing. And um, it, I actually I heard um heard someone talk about it the other day, uh, sort of as a, a yeah using that reference as a plastic thing. I thought I converted to design really well, like plastic design being doing designing stuff for just for the sake of it, just because it looks cool, and then like an actual actual design where it's embedded in meaning and it's got stuff behind it and that really sucked to football fans as well um <laughs> plastic football fans and um uh, but anyway yeah so i yeah i agree i think i, th- I think using your, your social media for 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 good and creating something with it and and like you said take if you, you are just following everyone else and just posting how oh, sorry this person died or, or you know instead of posting an actual tribute or instead of um making something about them or, or yeah using it in a, in a solid way, it does take away from when you want to post something meaningful. Um, people are less likely to take notice. And you saw some amazing work, like really, really good work come out of out of uh, bad times. So I think that, that happens a lot in the design scene and the arts scene. We've seen that quite a lot in history, and a lot of good work has come out of um, terrible times. So, well, I think what the, the way that I what I felt about it is, there's times when you just really need to express something right and you know being able to do something that that you get out to people really quickly whether it's just friends or family or whether it's like a much bigger group of people that you want to express I feel like there's there's times when you just need to like express yourself and I think that's where the social media becomes a great platform it's just the, the times when it's uh, it, it just seems automatic or robo- ro- robotic is, is the things that um, I'm most weary of. Uh, yeah. But like I've, I've definitely posted some things on social um, when you know, things have happened. And it, but it's been mostly because those things really did affect me in some way. And I just felt I needed to express myself. And it wasn't something that was like appropriate for my company. It was just like me personally needing to say something or do something. And um, and I think in doing that, hopefully it also was able to call attention to a, a certain uh, subject matter or, or something that was happening in the world in a way that maybe people uh, didn't uh, think about as much. And so, you know, hoping to really help to contribute to the conversation. Uh, so, you know, I, I've definitely, I'm, I'm kind of talking about this, but also I am guilty of kind of posting uh, stuff when certain things happen, when um my one of my professors in grad school, Milton Glaser, passed away, and I just felt like I needed to express something. And what was interesting about that is um, Milton Glaser, uh, the iconic designer, um, co-founder of Pushpin Studios, uh, a um, uh, of uh, a Jewish designer, had created some of the most amazing and profound work for uh, black music. Uh, and, and black arts and, uh, and and just kind of black culture through the 60s and 70s and 80s. 
And so what my what I wanted to do is really kind of celebrate the work that he had created, communicating to and for people like me, because like growing up, those are things that I had around the house or things that I learned about in in design school. And I, I looked up to them. And so, you know, this this white man uh, has made work that I was really moved by and I wanted to really express that. And so I just put together a, a quick um, kind of compilation of some of those works that I was was and am inspired by, and and uh, and it was it was received received well. But that's what I that's how I wanted to express it because it was really something that was important for me and and a way for me to acknowledge uh, kind of the impact that he had made on on a young designer such as myself. Nice, yeah. That, that's I think I think something that happens is. Is we yeah we we all different we all express things differently and especially grief um, when you put someone like that as if you especially got taught by Milton Glaciers it's, it's probably yeah probably something that's deeply personal to you as well so uh, yeah I mean I think we yeah, we just posted a photo as well and I didn't having not known him in person um, it's definitely interesting it's definitely interesting to see how people, different people react, react to different situations and how long they talk about it for and how long they, it, yep. it goes on for that's the one for me I think if 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 we can keep having this conversation on the podcast, um, you know, keep pushing, uh, exactly, yeah. p- pushing the, the things that matter in design. I think that's that's what we want to do. Um, and when we're not on the podcast as well, backing up and, and talking to family and friends. But exactly. yeah, it's an interesting one because we're all still young. You know, we're still young designers. We're still trying to learn our morals and learn all of our things ourselves and learn how how life works. We're all still living at home as well. So it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm. You know, like I said, I'm trying to get into London where I'm not working, living at home and trying to become a man, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one, different different things. And designing for social change, I think, will come. Um, maybe maybe the best thing is to start off with like local charities. Maybe I could do that. It's like a nice well, yeah, and I, I think that that's a, a, it's a, it's a really good point. Um, so, you know, I've always tried to do work for like places that I believe in or, or, or things places that are doing really interesting work uh, in the community. And like I've, I've volunteered my services because it was my way of giving back. And so I've done that. Uh, and then also just being able to like do work that then might help uh, bring funding or bring attention to these causes. And so what I, I think there's, especially like in, in the U.S. now, we're in a, an election year, which is a really... Um, brutal time to be in the US. And, um, and so, you know, there's always people who are asking designers to design a social media post or design a poster. And then there's other people who say, well, don't design a poster, go and knock on doors. And I think both are actually really important. I think knocking on doors and telling people to vote or register to vote or helping people register to vote is, in, is so important, especially in 2020. And then, but at the same time, I think being able to make some kind of uh, creative expression that then can help other people uh, register to vote or know the reason uh, or the meaning behind or how important a vote is, I think is, is also important. And so I, I, think, I think the ability to be able to kind of create something and then drive funding or drive attention to a, a, a subject matter or to an organization is what we can do really well as designers. And, and so I would encourage people to, if you are going to make some kind of post to then Figure out how to focus that the the action for that post into into real uh, real life change. Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. 
I also wonder how many local sort of charities would be open to um, crazy someone coming in and just creating something, but being completely free with it and open with it, and then showing them and then them using it. Because that's the thing with clients as well. <laughs> how do you create something? Which you you want to design, you want to be open, you want to be you know you want to have free reign of it, but then you can't because you've got client restrictions. Maybe with charities, you can be a bit more, um, a bit more. Uh, if you're giving up your time, maybe you can be a bit more free with it and create something impactful with how you see it impactful. But obviously, it's got uh, got uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we've got to wrap it up in a second. Um, yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, I don't know what I was saying to be honest. Anyway, you got well, to go. I think, but I, I think no. I, well, I I think. Um, well, I really enjoyed talking with you, and I think the you know the the thing that we've done in the past uh, kind of few years is tried to kind of focus more on doing work for places that are where their values are kind of reflected not just in the things that they're saying, but in the things that they're doing, and in the in the places and people that that they are hiring or. or and and so you know whether it's with the NBA, which is doing yeah. an incredible job with the kind of relaunch of of their season or this summer with um, a whole new game, and also being able to have the the players be able to make an expression on the backs of their kits mm. or, or jerseys, uh, or, or or many others like uh, some of the performing arts organizations that are being able to get their their um, their bands or their orchestras out into the communities to be able to kind of lift spirits. I think there's so many companies and organizations that are doing uh, kind of taking good creative and design led thinking to be able to figure out how to adjust in this crazy world that we're living in. And so um, like with that, I think as designers, we can help, we can contribute to that. I think we can focus maybe our efforts around uh, finding other companies that are doing things that that uh, where our values align. And, um, and I think that that goes for um, uh, kind of how people are speaking about uh, what you know, we're doing under this COVID year, yeah. uh, whether it's about things that are happening in social justice, whether it's about equal opportunity and equal pay for, for women and, 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 and minorities. And I think like, I, I, don't, I don't like to be, I try not to be preachy what I want to do is just be able be able to. I like to do really cool work for like the NBA or for uh, MTV, and at the same time, I like to be able when they have their initiatives to be able to go out there into the world and make a difference. I like to be there as a designer, also supporting that. And I think that's what I can do, and that's kind of maybe the way that I was brought up. But it's 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 where I can contribute, you know, my expertise to make a difference in the world, and that's what I get really excited about. Nice. I think that's a good message to leave this, this podcast on, especially we're running out of time. So, that's, uh, yeah, maybe everyone should think about that. Everyone should think about how we can use our expertise to make an impact. Well, thank you very much. Where can, where can people find you and check you out? And I'll leave links down in the description as well. Well, Mark, Millie, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. I love meeting you and, and just hanging with you for a few today. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're, our company is Champions Design, championsdesign.com. And so I uh, hope to see you guys on, on social or you know, uh, in the future. Definitely, definitely. Thank it's you very much. It's been great having you on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye. There you go. That is uh, that was the podcast. I'm sure. It, uh, <laughs> it's funny Do how you we, tell people it's it, going to be an hour. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so the podcast we're still going, by the way, just to let you know. But uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. I never it's tell people how long it is, which I should have done. Uh, I should tell him. Uh, he's probably going to be quite a long time.
and, and the thing is we're trying to make it a long conversation as well and it's yeah. it's interesting to see where it goes and people open up a bit more as the conversation goes along and um, obviously we didn't get to the last couple of questions which we ask everyone on mm. that podcast so we'll definitely have him back on if I can pester him and because uh, he's, he's so he really seems like nice such a good guy yeah, yeah such a nice guy but such a knowledgeable guy as well and learning from all these people I didn't realise he learned from Milton Glaser or, or you know, even Paul Scher or you know, other people all it's incredible people Incre- with. yeah absolutely incredible so we'll definitely get him on the podcast again yeah. if I can if I can swing it but uh, yeah great conversation and I'm sure you would love chatting with him as well I feel like we could do a like a sub-series with Bobby Martin like just <laughs> just talking with him um, yeah we're genuinely good that was wicked good stuff to say um, yeah definitely good good last message as well before we left is, is, is the uh, making making seeing how we can make an impact and even on a small scale that's what I, that's what I was trying to go with that ramble it's like how can we make an impact in local charities or local people yeah because I always wonder that, like how, how can you make a, a difference in the same way that say champions design can where yeah. when you've got like your only platform is like a few hundred followers on Instagram like how are you supposed to make any sort of change but yeah, that, that's the thing. Even if it's small scale, it still it still means something. It's still mm. you're doing something good, which is better than a lot of people are doing. <laughs> so for sure, yeah. sure. Um, yeah, is that is, do we want to leave it there, or do we want to like keep rambling, or how do you want to do it? <laughs> it's free <Yeah>. wave now. <laughs> True. Um, I guess, well, I guess we'll leave the podcast with where people what we're doing, what the creative waffle is doing. 200 episodes is incredible and and where we're going with it and what we've got planned for it is, is fantastic i mean the website has now been updated as well um which i'm trying to i'm trying to add a tool to our tools index page every a couple of days so that'll be updated again shortly um basically resources and things we found have been recommended uh that'll be on the the creative waffle website uh, under the tools section we've got recommended books as well which i'm, I'm doing book uh reviews or little key five key points I've learned from different books I'm reading that's there's only one up there right now but um hopefully two by the time this is out uh but it's forcing me to read a bit more which is well, listen to audiobooks and then make notes um so not really still not really reading but uh, yeah so anyway lots of things going on is what I'm trying to say um and something I've learned as well from this podcast is I really want to do a New York tour <laughs> yeah we've had so many amazing. people on from New York and it, and it seems like such a cool place <laughs> If anyone's out there, if anyone's out there, um, wants if to help out the to podcast, pay for us to go to New York, that'd be lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe uh, Design Cuts or uh, Logo Package Express can help us out. Our current partners, uh, also partners page on the website as well. That's cool. Uh, discounts mm-hmm. on there, on the on there down in the description as well. If you want to help out the podcast, um, lots of things, lots of ways. <laughs> yeah, no, this has been good. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Um, I've been Mark, you've been Millie. See you next week. (laughs) See you next week. (laughs) 